June Watterson. I'm standing in the constituency of Russian. Why is it that you have decided to seek re-election? Well, I must admit, I love my job. Um, I uh, qualified as a chartered accountant, but uh, the prospect of going off and earning big money in the private sector compared to representing a constituency such as Russian doing the public service, helping people and being just embedded in uh, a part of the island that I know and love so well um, has been a consistent draw for me for the last 15 years and it's something that I'd like to uh, carry on doing for another five. Well, looking back at your manifesto from five years ago, um, various different bits and pieces in there. One of them, one of the issues that you highlighted was the public election for Legislative Council. That's obviously not something we've seen. Are you disappointed that there hasn't been that constitutional change? Uh, no, I think we've uh, had the functioning of Tinwald Committee and that, that debate has been given a, a good airing. I mean, we've seen th- there's lots of different ways of running Legislative Council. Um, there's lots of different ways of electing them either by the keys or the public. Um, I think there's always the danger of uh, giving a mandate. But what's been really interesting in the evolution of the Legislative Council is that instead of it being perhaps uh, something that politicians have at the end of their career, it's seeming to be something that they're doing at the start of the career these days. Um, and whether that's a, a, a good thing or not, um, time will tell. Uh, I think it's really important, though, with Legislative Council, we get a balance of talent, balance of abilities um, in terms of political experience, in terms of fresh faces. Um, and it's going to take some time, I think, to settle down. Uh, but one thing I would always like to see is someone who has been a, a former MHK in there and... Uh, because I think that's an essential ingredient within uh, the, the Legislative Council. Well, you stood for president a couple of weeks ago. Is it a route that you'd look, look to take going into LegCo? Um, in, in terms of, well, that would probably be the only way I would probably go into Legislative Council, although um, you know, a Legislative Council is for those people who have a real uh, experience and interest in the legislation, something that's not always doesn't always get the the time that I think it deserves in with a lot of members of the House of Keys. Um, I think it's all too easy for for members, especially new members, to get um, caught up in the world of government policy and press releases and department work, and and forget that actually the the core purpose of us being there in the House of Keys is passing legislation, and that is something that's always been a real interest to me. So. Um, that the legislation is is so important and that's the skills that you're looking for in Legislative Council, wherever they come from. Another one of your 2016 manifesto issues was budget reform. And mm. This is something you brought to Tim Walls just last month. It didn't get the supports. Were you disappointed by that? Incredibly disappointed, yeah. I, I thought it would have um, done far better. I think the way that the, the motion was ultimately put um, didn't help and I think it would have got more support had it been broken down into parts um, but that move was obviously opposed by council ministers. Um, I think there is a, a move out there that wants more accountability for uh, public money. The interesting thing about budget reform is that it means that politicians ourselves have to take responsibility because um, if you are going to be able to put down amendments you have to be able to own them and be able to justify them and I suppose in the way it's easier at the moment to just take it or leave it it's a pretty binary choice rather than the the more difficult things about uh, listening to public opinion and informing uh, a budget debate uh, 
in advance because, of course, the public have absolutely no input into this process at all at the moment. And I think that's that's the bit that I find that most disappointing, that there seems to be a lack of willingness to really seize on, um, although there are, I say, many other parts of the system that I think are, are desperately in need of reform in, in terms of the budget. So would that be a priority for you for the next five years, if you are to be re-elected, to, to revisit this issue? Yes, absolutely. It's something that I feel very strong, strongly about. Uh, I have done for a long time. Um, I'd hope to um, encourage... Um, uh, members to read the Commonwealth benchmarks of democratic legislatures, um, to uh, to think carefully about the process by which we allocate £1.2 billion of public money to make sure that it's something that they can look people in the eye and say that is a fair system that gives good outcomes. And when we're spending £70 million a year on capital projects that Tinwood members really get no say in, then I just don't think that that is a reasonable process. You did also highlight the economy as a big issue last time. Mm. You talked about work permits, tax, planning rules. Has this been given enough of a priority by this administration? Uh, I'll give this administration its due. I think that they've done an awful lot to uh, make sure that there is still an economy there post-pandemic. And and that is something that I think that um, they can look back with with a a degree of pride. Um, These are all matters that involve carefully balancing and nuancing um, although it's reassuring to see that actually already just a few months out of the last lockdown and even with numbers surging we, we are still seeing unemployment coming down um, and it's almost back at pre-covid levels so i do think there is a lot to be said for the, the resilience of the manx economy already and probably your your best known title over the last five years has been speaker of Ooh. the house of keys what was it that drew you to that role so many things about that role that i uh, i really enjoyed one is about um a leadership role in terms of educating and informing members and being able to take that parliamentary leadership role. That's been something that I've really, really enjoyed. Setting up the continual professional development programme for members has been a particular amount of pride because that uh, a raising tide raises all boats and the better that all the parliamentarians can be, the better the outcomes for the people of this island. I've also found it really liberating for my constituents. I've been able to speak out on behalf of my uh, constituents in a way that I found really quite frustrating when I was in the Council of Ministers, um, when you uh, have to toe the party line and that frustration has gone away. And it's also given me, with the experience that I have and being in that role, that sort of helicopter view of government to be able to join dots, um, which maybe they don't see within Council of Ministers and be able to offer recommendations using things such as the Public Accounts Committee uh, and also the Poverty Committee. I mean, something that I saw at the last election was this big difference between the haves and the have-nots in Manx society and the Poverty Committee was the outcome of that and we've seen some really really good work um, in there and the recommendations that were overwhelmingly supported in Tinwald uh, in July that's going to mean that things such as uh, 16% of the Manx uh, workforce are going to be actually paid a wage that they can afford to live on um, moving up the minimum wage up to the living wage and I think that's going to be a tremendously big social shift on the island meaning that people can actually afford to live here. Um, That's going to be so important. Things such as um, a a wider availability for school meals, trying to give that uh, opportunity for uh, realistic decision-making to be happening on the ground, um, rather than making sure that the bureaucracy fills in first. these are these are sort of all sort of cultural changes and systemic changes that cut across so many areas of government, and that's uh, that's the benefit of having someone with experience sitting outside of council ministers, but in that sort of influential role. We talked about some of the difficulties of being in the council of ministers mm. when you were a minister. Does that mean you wouldn't want to revisit the role of minister in the next administration? Um, 
I'm not. I'm not saying I wouldn't. Um, I'd say I'd take some persuading because I, I did find it really quite a challenge um, in in that environment. I was lucky. I had a great department in Home Affairs, something that uh, I was able to sort of. Uh, set a mark on and set a direction for and some of the the legislation that was started in, in that administration has come through um through um minister malarkey and minister Krajean really to have have delivered some really sort of heavyweight pieces of legislation um but i did find it an oppressive environment i think that council ministers is an organ that does need to uh, to change a bit before i would ever want to seek to go back into it we saw one minister lose his job in this administration for going against the collective vote. Is that something that needs looking at? That's part of it. Uh, I think the, the culture of decision making, the way that um, the, the culture of council ministers and its sort of very sort of defensive culture, uh, its block voting culture, um, I, I think it's something that does need a, a bit of challenge. Um, it's something that some, sometimes becomes deaf to good ideas from outside if it's not invented here. Um, although that's most that's um, as much about some perhaps some of the personalities as it is about some of the systems. So uh, it, it's it's a difficult one. You would be one of the most long-standing members in the next government. Would you or in the next administration? Would you want to put yourself forward for chief minister? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to. No, I. I the closer I've got to that job, I have to say, the um, the less I've I've coveted it. Um, there are plenty of people who are uh, desperate to climb to the top of the greasy pole. I've never been one of them. Um, if if my colleagues wanted me and um, twelve of them came to me and said, uh, "Jim, we want you to be chief minister," then obviously I would. Um, but it's not a job that I would actively uh, go out and covet. No. But you wouldn't want someone who is just desperate for it. Surely it would need to be the right person. <clears throat> yeah, uh, although I think if you've got somebody who was, uh, ha- had that mandate, had somebody who was uh, keen to put a, a team together, um, that that would be uh, more advantageous. Uh, um, I'm not sure if, if that's something that, uh, given my disagreements with the present council ministers and how many of them will be feed, for, uh, rolling over into the new one, that would, whether that would be practical or not. Well, looking ahead to the next five years... We asked you to fill out a little bit of a survey. Um, we asked you to pick your top three issues from a list. One of the ones you picked out was climate change. Why was that? It always has been one of my priorities. Um, if you go back to my uh, manifestos all the way back to 2006, you'll have found that uh, energy and climate change have been uh, part of my manifestos. It's great that it's getting more mainstream support these days than it was then. I certainly felt that I was bashing my head against a bit of a brick wall back in the early days with this. But there is a, a real culture shift now. And one of the great optimisms I have for the coming administration is looking around um, colleagues in there. There's an overwhelming desire to really get on with some of the changes that are needed in our housing, in our energy production, in our lifestyles, um, and bringing those to the fore and making them happen on this island. And I I have a huge amount of optimism that that is going to happen in the next five years. Another issue you highlighted in your top three as well, um, which I know was on your manifesto in 2016, was roads. Mm. Why was that? Um, Well, we all know what the state of the island's roads are like, especially um, outside of Douglas and and the promenade. And one of the real frustrations I've had in in recent years is that rural roads budget that goes to do much-needed projects like Ports and Mary High Street um, just haven't been done um, because that money has been swallowed up and, and tipped into the promenade um now i'm not saying the promenade didn't need doing whether it's been done efficiently or not i think you know um, mrs barber mr robertshaw the infrastructure committee have done a great job in keeping tabs on that but really that shouldn't have been to the detriment of the roads elsewhere on the isle of man and if that had meant that it took a bit longer or cost a bit more 
to make sure that both were being done, I think there'd be a, a lot more um, happiness out there in the, the community because it's when people see their local roads going to pot um, for the sake of the promenade. I think that's what really grates. Can it be a bit Douglas-centric at times when it comes to making decisions like that? Yeah, as I say, it's not that the promenade didn't need doing. It is a a big project. I think more people would probably say that it was TT course-centric than it was um, Douglas-centric. But there is no real justification for allowing the roads outside of uh, those, uh, say the TT course and, and Douglas Promenade, get worse over the last five years I think uh, and I know it's been a product of just having just about every construction worker on the Isle of Man down at, uh, on Douglas Promenade but I, I think that that's what's really grated with people is seeing their own work roads get a lot worse just for this one project. Affordable housing is another issue you selected is that something within your constituency or is that an island-wide issue? It's both uh, but certainly it's an island-wide issue I think we, we are seeing at the moment a, something of a price bubble in the property market and um, we're not seeing wages rise to meet that um, so it is proving hard at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not got a crystal ball, but I do think that that might be a bit of a bubble as supply chains have been disrupted. Materials prices are higher and there is a, a massive uh, call for, for labour in the construction sector at the moment. So it is really uh, overheating at the moment and hopefully over the next two years that will uh, improve. But that's something that needs more uh, government work on, more active uh, work in terms of looking at the policies around social housing around how we build and the housing mix of social housing to make sure that that's fit for purpose to make sure that we have schemes that allow affordability but also making sure that we actually have the ability to build new houses because that's what it's going to take if we've got a a thriving economy as we do we are going to need to build those houses for um, Manx families to go into. We also asked you if you want to add in any of your other issues. One you selected was size of government. Mm. What's the problem there? Is it, is it too big, too yeah. large? Where's the access? It's far, far too big. Um, uh, one of the challenges that um, we were set after the global financial crisis was to slim down government. And I think I was possibly the only minister to actually achieve it. We cut uh, at that time 25% out of the budget at Home Affairs, 14% out of the headcount. So it's really galling to see um, over the last five years that the size of government has gone up from little over 8,000 to 8,500. Now, some of that is COVID uh, specific, the track and trace teams and the uh, the other organisations that have had to be created to, to manage borders and 111 and, and that sort of side of things. But there still needs to be a, um, a balancing because 8,500 people out of a total workforce of a little over 40,000 people is just not sustainable um, in the long term. So we do need to look hard at what, what things in government we should do and the bits that need to be done either differently or, um, or not done at all. How do you make cuts, though, without impacting the taxpayer, without taking away services? Uh, you, you can't always. And sometimes that is about having that conversation as to how much we need something to be done, whether we need to be it to be done in the same way, the, the same standard or to the same timescales. Um, and that's part of the uh, the ambition of trying to get the uh, the Auditor General, so someone who has a, a sort of similar skill set to the one I've been trying to bring to the Public Accounts Committee, but have them there full time with a task of... Uh, identifying savings of three times the cost of running the office and that's that's their um that's their mandate and that will really help um i think government and parliament uh, come together and identify those savings going forward we've touched on it a bit already but how would you assess government's performance over the last five years um i think uh, there's been it's been a sort of three-year administration really instead of a five-year administration um 
uh, I'd say a lot of the big promises that were made early on remain unfulfilled. Um, things such as uh, uh, rates reform, some of the more challenging questions have, have been dodged. Um, and then in the last two years, uh, obviously, the pandemic has um, been the overwhelming factor. I think the, the, the response was really good, really positive at the start. Um, the lockdowns were uh, widely accepted. I think that as many people know, I, I'm not a fan of the borders opening when they did. I, I voted against that happening in June. I would have rather have seen them wait until the school holidays started another four to six weeks before the borders opened, just to give uh, people that time to adjust and prepare, but also to um, uh, spare the, the kids the being sat in a Petri dish for the last couple of weeks of term and giving them that, that sort of certainty. So that that was my uh, my principal difference in terms of uh, policy with, with government the last sort of few weeks. What would you have done differently, though? Aside from, obviously, the borders, but but generally over the yeah. last five years. Yeah. Um, well, I think we need to. Um, I don't think a lot of the groundwork has been done on some of the issues. I mean, another one was the the government had said that they were going to do a lot more about debt um, and and how government treated its own debt and making sure that they had a toolkit that was fit for purpose in collecting it. Instead, we've seen government writing off millions of pounds a year in uncollected money that it is owed by um, uh, by suppliers, by taxpayers, and. Uh, again, they had a. This is something that has been was raised in my first term when we wrote a report on it in the Public Accounts Committee. Then it just doesn't seem to have happened, and that's that's a real frustration. So it's about actually sort of getting some of this legislation through. And whilst it might not be terribly popular, um, I, I think one of the things that I'd have done differently, which I think was the subject of my first question to the Chief Minister in this administration, was employing more legislative drafters because you are not going to get some of these big changes through unless you employ the people to write the laws to change them. It takes ages to get the laws passed on this island. Um, it takes far, far too long. We've got five years. We're still waiting for um, an animal welfare bill. Um, we There are so many areas that you are not going to be able to change without changes in the law. Capacity is another one. Um, this is stuff that is known to be needed. It's known what's wanted, and it's just not getting delivered. And so whilst employing more lawyers might not be a very popular move, it is what's going to be needed if we're going to really... Uh, achieve the sort of social and economic changes that are that are called for. We've talked about some of your priorities for the next five years already, but what about in Russian? What is the main priority within the constituency? Well, uh, I've been out knocking on, I think I've done almost 900 doors so far, um, and uh, primarily around Port St Mary. So you can imagine that the state of Port St Mary High Street has been pretty high up on the agenda. Um, the other one, I, I say I'm really pleased to hear that... Um, is getting far more mainstream focus is about climate change is about how we generate energy on the isle of man is about um how we help people improve their own homes uh, how they get around the island um those are other significant issues that are going to take a, a lot more focus in the next five years and as i say um looking at the people who are standing the agendas that they're standing on um and their their history i'm really quite positive that it's going to be a far different place when it comes to looking at energy and climate change on this island in the next administration. Okay, we have what I hope to be a part of. We have nearly managed 20 minutes. So just finally, if someone does vote for you, what are they getting? What do you promise? Well, I, I can't promise um, deliverables. What I can promise is to work with the same honesty, diligence, uh, passion, integrity and commitment that I have done over the last 15 years, um, in me, you'll find somebody who is deeply rooted in the constituency of Russian and finds a real passion in serving that community.